We are delighted to announce that there will now be a monthly tournament for the next six months. This tournament is exclusive to OneOuter.com listeners who sign up for a William Hill account using promotional code OneOuter when setting up their account. You can find a link to download William Hill Poker by clicking on the advert on OneOuter.com or through one of the links in the William Hill Poker section. You must use OneOuter as the promotional code to enter the tournament. The first tournament will be Sunday the 23rd of June 2013 at 7pm UK time. The buy-in is only $5 to keep it available to all bankrolls and listeners. There will be added prizes including OneOuter.com t-shirts and some excellent poker books. Of course I will be playing the tournament and there will be a prize for the player who knocks me out of the tournament. As well as prizes in the money in the prize pool, points will be awarded depending on where you finish in the tournament. The best player after the six monthly tournament has finished will be crowned the OneOuter.com tournament champion and receive a very special grand prize. Further details of the tournament dates and prizes can be found on OneOuter.com under the William Hill Poker section. I really hope you can help support the podcast by playing in all or at least one of these tournaments. I look forward to seeing some of you at the tables and hopefully taking your chips from you. So sign up for a William Hill Poker account today and use OneOuter as your promotional code and the password for the tournaments is Ginger, G-I-N-G-E-R. When inside the William Hill Poker client, just click on Tournaments and then the magnifying glass icon to search for Tournament. Enter OneOuter and you will find the OneOuter monthly tournaments there. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to episode five of Ask Alex on the One Outer podcast. Uh, OneOuter.com podcast, I should say. Um, don't just listen to the podcast. Check out the website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M. And like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash OneOuter. How are you, Alex? It's great to have you back. I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. I, yeah, it's been a while. I'm happy to be doing this. How you been? Yeah, I've been great. I've been great. Alex, uh, if you you know follow the podcast and follow him on Twitter, which is at the Assassinato, T H E A S S A N I T T O. Yep, yep, you. Yep. Ass ass I NATO. That's it. Ass ass I NATO. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Alex has been uh, at the World Series, played the main event and stuff. So um, that, that's a good place to pick it up, Alex. How did your Vegas trip go? I went pretty good, all things considered. I. Uh... I got there just in time to play 1500. I uh, I called an I called a river jam with King High and was right, which I don't think I've ever done like before. But I uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Sick brag. Yeah, I know sick brag. Well, I mean, you had to see this guy. Okay, this dude, uh, big big guy, hit like full on goatee, and he's got these huge tattoos that say forgive, and he keeps right. going like vindication like redemption like, like every time he wins a pot he play he's playing like 50 40 this was honestly the easiest king high call for my tournament life ever i just i raised pre-flop he flatted from the blind blinds there were like the board came nine five three uh a diamond draw i bet he called which could have been like a high card or anything uh i had king jack high uh the turn put another 
I can't remember the card, but he put another flusher out there, and uh, mm-hmm. he checked. I overbet, thinking that would get him to fold his draws, and just because I thought he could have like an ace high draw that beat me, or something like that. And generally, people folded 150 percent pot size bet with like a just one draw. That's and even if he didn't, I thought, okay, maybe I'll river a king or a jack, and. You know, I you know, and I was like, it's possible I have the best hand. I could figure that out on the river, and mm. he. Uh, but like the king and the jack are outs, and I'm pretty sure he's gonna fold. If you bet 150% of the pot, it needs to work 60% of the time, roughly. And I thought he was gonna be folding. Like if he just had a straight draw or flush draw or just a random high card that didn't even pick up a draw on the turn, I thought he was gonna be folding most of the time there, and it simplified things. Because if I check, I pretty much give up the pot. And the river paired the board, and he looked at it, didn't look like he really liked it. Then he, like, turned and grabbed a bunch of chips and just threw them in there. And mm-hmm. I, I was, like, I wasn't feeling it already, but I wasn't loving it. And then I said, mm-hmm. I said, how much is that? And he goes, I put you all in. And I was, yeah. okay, I don't believe this. And I called <laughs> me turnover 6-4 for the straight draw, the missed straight nice. draw. And then, yeah, that felt pretty cool. And then... You know, it's sick. Yeah, it was it's pretty... sick when he shows you the king queen there for a chop. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I was about to say, or like the ace x like flush draw missed, right? Like yeah. I, I debated it for a second, but I was like, there's not enough of those combinations, and for some reason, I just felt it wasn't a pair. But yeah, I mean, long story short, like you know, like 20 hands later, like a guy opened early position, he flatted. I like 2.2x it to get control of the hand. First guy folded, and that guy just jammed like 50x with jack 10 off i i called with ace king which i actually thought was kind of stupid which because i thought i could just grind down uh the people at the table but i was like i was like this guy could be doing this with like ace deuce off like can i really fold here and i mean i probably would make the call again but it it was one of those it's one of those weird moments you always hear live pros talk about like do you really want to take this flip you know and i just (laughs) i didn't like it but i was like okay i called and i saw the jack 10 and then yeah, the river came a jack, and he goes, redemption, and screams at me, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, I, uh, and then I played the main event and didn't make a hand. Uh, everybody at my table kind of looked at me like I was a horse's ass because I was just seeing every flop, missing every one of them, not even having, like, backdoor flush draws or straight draws or anything I could float with. The one time I did a bluff, I was thinking, okay, I have a draw. If he calls, I still have a 20% chance to hit that draw. There's nothing he'll check jam in his range but top set. And then he checked jam and showed top set and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And then, yeah, and then I, I busted the main event, and I was feeling pretty good. So I headed over and played a 235 deep sack, which I played like one before. I, I made day two of the main event, but with like literally like six big blinds. So I was uh-huh. like, okay, they're one-day tournament. So I played a deep sack the day before and then went out set over set, but I was still feeling really good the next day when I busted the main. So I entered, and, uh, yeah, like uh, 12 hours later, I won the thing. So it was, uh, it was good for 25000 so I was pretty happy. 
Yeah, it was nice. I played one of them when I was in Vegas last year, and I got sixth or fifth. I can't remember. Oof. But it was uh, first was like twelve k. So I think that was the. Holy. I think it's one eighty five buy in, and then a two thirty five buy in, isn't it? Yeah, That's the jump. There's a, so. there's a second tier one that like goes on a couple hours after. It's actually pretty cool if you're like out there to play poker and you don't have a lot of time. Structure. Yeah. Structure wasn't that bad. I mean, it was fast, but it was, you know, it was fun. Yeah, I remember near the sort of money, it really got quite, you know, shitty. It, yeah, really, it was really yeah, it picks, up shit. It, it picks up. But, I mean, everybody plays, in my opinion, everybody plays the sh- short sex in such a rudimentary fashion that you can really take advantage of that now. People, you open on their big blind, they have 15x, and they think, I could never flat here. I could never, I, I have to jam or fold. And I, well, it's like if you have 9-6 suited and you know the guy's opening 40% of the hands on the button, or not nine six. I mean, like a lot of hands. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe not with fifteen x, but say you have like twenty x. Everybody thinks they need to jam or fold that stack, yeah. and you you're getting oftentimes with the severe ante structure that's there. You need like nineteen percent equity to call a min raise, and you have like, you you'll literally have like thirty two percent equity with eight deuce off. Now you shouldn't call with eight deuce off, but mm-hmm. if you have like a suited two gap or like a suited high card you should think long and hard before you just fold or decide I need to jam. Like if you can't really correctly interpret the guy's range, you should probably just flat there. And then if you flatten like donk lead into him, a lot of that used to be a really donkey play, but now, you know, people don't want to like just jam with a high card. They're like, I I can't peel. This was supposed to be all in preflop. How dare you? You And then (laughs) they, you know, are like, they call and they don't want to, they either see bet too much and they see bet something really small in which case you could, I mean, it really sucks going from like 19x to 14x, but you could like 2x their C-bet and it's going to like 30%. It'll need to work about 30% of the time and change. And chances are the guy's not jamming with 70% of his uh, continuation betting range. And I'm just pulling numbers like out. It's like obviously these aren't exact. It's like he'll need to defend like 68% of the time or 66 or whatever. But there's just... A lot of people are very simple-minded when it comes to short stacks, but if you watch like Negreanu or Phil Hellmuth, you'll you'll see that they're, you know, they're they're not playing the rejam game, and there's a pretty good reason for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we spoke about that a few episodes ago. It was like you say, you know, 15x below. I can't remember the player you mentioned, but a guy online, he'll do things like. You know, you'll flat there, or you'll min raise fold and, and stuff. Pisagno, Pisagno, the man. Yeah, the, that was the it. Myth, that was the it. legend. My, yeah. <laughs> the Brazilian hero. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's a lot to that. Obviously, you should do that sparingly because, uh, you know, you don't want to get the Pisagno rap. Or there was like, there was one tournament I just decided I'd fool around with it and I lost respect really quickly. And then it's like, you can't do anything, you know what I mean? But yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely something to play with, but yeah, the structure does get kind of, uh, it gets kind of, uh, you know, all right, let's wrap this up fellas at the end. Yeah. Well, like you say with poker, um, in terms of it being like short stack rudimentary and people think, you know, there's these rules like 10 X, you must do this because online all these shove charts and stuff everybody's games are sort of like built and found you know on these certainly the mass multi-tablers and stuff uh, whereas you say poker in its essence if you think about it it's about doing what you know people aren't expecting and what they don't think you're going to accept so if you do throw a curveball in like things like you say like phil helmuth does that people look 
and go, what the fuck? You know, what was that? <laughs> that was bad. And then you look at the guy, he's got so many bracelets in, you know, <laughs> tournaments uh, over the years. Uh, there probably is something for playing a little bit, you know, uh, funky, as they say, you know, with like 15 blinds or less, especially live, I think. Mm-hmm. I, the way I've always looked at it is most of the literature and training videos that came out originally were in English and were from Americans. And back in 2006, 2007, and the the first influence really was Poker X Factor, I think. And, you know, the way Johnny Bax and those guys played was, you know, I mean, obviously with some glaring exceptions like below above, but the way most of those guys played was very, it was how you could play like 12 tables back then and make a lot of money. I mean, if you played the way like a $5 MTT player plays now, uh, back then in like high stakes, you were making 20000 a year, uh, month. And it, was, it wasn't really a good idea to raise fold from a short stack because people were frankly a little more creative and didn't have all these rules and they would flat you and donk lead into you or they would three bet you really small and just kind of make your life a living hell. But nobody called rejams as wide as they should. I remember like in 2006, when I started playing, like when I rejam King Jack, people would be like, what is wrong with you, crazy man? And so you knew they weren't caught. They would not call with ace queen because don't go broke with a queen in your hand. So it made a lot more sense to like hold on to the rejam stack. And then these tools came out that let you know, mathematically, you could do this. And there's nobody on earth that could play correctly versus you. And I think uh, DJK contributed a, contributed a very major article where he showed you could jam king nine suited, I believe it was, for 22 big blinds. And the guy could call you with king 10 and fold king eight, and you'd still be showing a profit. And when people heard that, I think that was a real changing moment for empty tears because now if you could adhere to these set of rules and know for a fact that nobody, even if they played perfectly against you, could turn a profit, I think they stopped looking for other solutions, which... Yeah. Which, you know, it's a good way if you want to, you know, if you're just like, you know, you live in like Latvia and making $10,000 a year is going to really take care of you and your family. Sure, learn the basics like really quick and then start grinding. That's totally cool. But if you want to become the best, you can't play the way everybody else plays. And you should check something like, okay, if I 2x and I'm going to win, okay, and there's 4.5x out there when I win the pot and I lose 2x when I lose the pot, okay. Here, here's how often I expect the play to work. Here's my expectation. Now let's compare this versus how, how, what a average profit it would be with a jam. I think if you compare those two numbers, you'll be really surprised at the findings, and you'll really look with a much more critical eye at the MTT uh, tournament videos that are available right now, or at least the ones I see in English. I think the Germans are. You notice the Germans do pretty well on like those high rollers. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Like I, yeah. I think that might be because they developed a little differently than we did, and they, they could understand everything in English, but they had more of a right to privacy when they spoke in German because we couldn't interpret it. But anyway, I'm waxing poetic. <laughs> yeah. So winning the tournament, you won that um, the daily deep stack or nightly deep stack, whatever it was, and you mentioned it in your blog that you know it was. I think it was your first live tournament you'd won and stuff. So. Yeah. Just what what was your feeling about that? And I mean, twenty five thousand is, uh, you know, that's a chunk of change for anyone. For sure. No, I was uh, 
I thought I thought there had to be like something else. I thought there had to be an ocean card to come, or like I, there would be a boss level because I'd never <laughs> I, I'd never won in a. I didn't play much like live tournament poker, like e- but even when I did, I uh, I tell everybody when people are getting down on themselves about how they're doing with poker. There was a guy, I like won the lottery when it came to like poker education because there was a guy running two three tournaments a week, like down the street from my house. And with like, you know, like generally like 20 to 30 year olds, right? And for some reason they let some 15 year old kid in and I played like three of them a week for like literally a year. And I think I won like two of them or something like that. And there was like 18 people in these tournaments. So I've I've never really, I think live, I get really bored, like really quick. And I start, it's only been recently that I'm, I have my own voice in my head when I'm screaming at my students when I'm about to do something really stupid, I'm like, really, you know, you people pay you to listen to you and like you scream about this every single time it comes up and you're going to do it right here. So it's like just out of an area of such like self-disgust, I fold and like, (laughs) but they, yeah, it was like, it was just an amazing feeling. Like I couldn't, uh, it, it was really weird to like, you know, have all the chips in front of you and like, it, it was such a great moment. Of course, I forgot to take a picture of it, but yeah. you know, the next day it's kind of like, okay, that was, you know, it was, it was really nice. It's like winning a hundred R online, but it's, uh, you know, it's kind of business as usual. I think, I think the real big one will be like, you know, like winning the 5k or 10k one day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that'd be nice. Um, so let's talk about, let me see what's next on the list. We've got lots of questions emailed in and tweeted in from a few people. So I'm eager to get uh, onto them with you. Uh, in the meantime, I've, while you've been away, uh, swanning about Las Vegas, winning 25Ks. Um, <laughs> I've had Phil Lack on the podcast, which was a really, you know, I've been after him for a while. Yeah. And I finally got him on. That was, that was really entertaining. And also Alan Boston. Uh, professional sports better and friend of Stu Unger and stuff. I probably one of my, if not the most enjoyable, you know, present company accepted uh, <laughs> guests I've had on. A real fascinating guy, old school, um, professional sports better, just the mindset, his outlook on life and stuff. Just really good podcast. So uh, people need to check that out. Um, also, last episode, we spoke about the William Hill tournament that we're running um, once a month. The next one is Sunday, August the 18th at 7 p.m. UK time. And the grand prize of that tournament is, uh, if, you're, if you're the player, best player over the six tournaments, that is, you win a free coaching session with Alex Fitzgerald and all those numbers and stuff he's just discussed there, he can at least give you an, your introduction to that sort of thinking. Uh, you'll also win a six-month membership with PokerXFactor.com, and there's lots of other added prizes and stuff each tournament. Uh, the guy currently topping the league is NoFoldJAA with 13 points, and second place is SwaveSav1 with 10 points. So you're getting 10 points for the win. So there's plenty. There's four tournaments left, so plenty points up for grabs to. Uh, Get yourself that coaching deal, etc., with PokerXFactor.com and you know the session with Alex. Um, where are we now? So, Alex, if you're okay, we'll just go on to some questions. Sure. And uh, one thing I just wanted to say before we continue: those two podcast guests, like I really, to be honest with you guys, I don't make a note 
to like listen to many things or watch many things because a lot of it is just rehashing. As somebody as a professional poker player who has studied like everything I could possibly study, I have it those downloaded ready to listen to because Alan Boston and Phil Locke are both not known as like a poker, you know, they're definitely geniuses in their own right, but they're not like, uh, a, they're not sublime like Antonio Esfandiari when he plays, you know what I mean? They're kind of, yeah. they're kind of known as grinders. And yet both of those guys have done a lot better than like 99. Both of those guys have done way better than 99% of professional gamblers. So they're, the way they look at life, they're talking about a lot of tools that you yourself could adopt. Not stuff like when you listen to uh, maybe somebody, like when I listen to Faraz Jaka talk about poker, sometimes I just feel like, okay, he's speaking another language. I'm never going to learn anything from this. You know what I mean? Those are the kind of guys you should really pay attention to. Anyhow, uh, let's get into the questions. Yeah. Um, okay, the first one, I need to go into the email about this because I want to, I don't want to misquote the guy. Right. Um, so let me just apologize for the dead air just now. <laughs> um, it was about a comment that we, excuse the typing noises. There we go. Um, really professional on the oneouter.com yeah, podcast. Yeah, you know, you know. So polished. It's so polished. Okay, here we go. All right, I'm just going to read the guy's email out. Um, here we go. A matter of perspective. On a recent podcast, Alex said that he doubted Phil Galfond's claim that he would prefer to win a WSOP bracelet to winning $1 million in cash. This is a reasonable view for someone who is essentially grinding every day to make a living. Consider that Galfond has already made millions and that his aspirations may be somewhat different. Like the millionaires who decide to climb Everest, there are legions of professional athletes who at the end of their careers sign minimum contracts, often as role players for just the chance to climb a championship mountain and win a ring. Poker has its own mountain, which is the WSOP bracelet. Cheers, Bilius Betel is obviously his screen name or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you think? I mean, that's a very romantic view and one I'd really like to believe it exists, but I don't, I, I don't. Here's the question, put it into, let's imagine a tournament Phil Galfon's in and let's think of how professional and smart this guy is. Let's think of how much, think of how smart you are when it comes to poker and multiply it times 200 times. Okay. And imagine that mind in business, uh, what that man could do with a million dollars, either be it with charity or applying it to his own businesses. That million isn't just worth a million. It's worth several million. Now let's pretend in this fictional tournament, he's heads up even in chips and second place is a million dollars, and first place is absolutely nothing with a bracelet. Are you telling me, seriously, if this guy offered a deal just to take the bracelet, like, he might not want to tank it, but if they could just announce this guy's going to take a million dollars, do you really think he's going to go, okay? Like, yeah, let's I, I don't. There's a, <laughs> there's a possibility. There, no, I mean, like, he could. I mean, like, if I saw that, like, it's one of those things, if somehow this tournament somehow took place, it, it would... If I saw like Phil Galfond go, okay, let's play for it, I wouldn't be like shocked, but I'd be a little surprised because mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like really that smart. But for the most part, I think 99% of people, and this includes Phil, Phil Galfond, would probably just go take the money. And, yeah. and 
Yeah, I mean, but he, I mean, to be fair to the person asking the question, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Of course, to a grinded out pro thinking of a million dollars, you're like, of course, this guy is full of it. But to Phil Galfon, but I mean, people are talking about Phil Galfon, like a million dollars, like that's nothing. You're telling me you think his net worth couldn't be seriously aided by a million dollars? I mean, I know he has money, but... Like, this idea that, like, Durr just has $30 million in a safe somewhere is just preposterous. <laughs> like, I mean, like, the top of the world is Durr, and what, what do you think he has? I mean, I'm not going to speculate because I think that's kind of rude, but, yeah. like, it's, it's it, the idea you pass on a million dollars. There are so few millionaires in poker, and the guys who do have a million have that, have a million, are two. If you have two, you're like, whoo. So, like, the idea anyone will turn down a million, I think, is just a, you know, a, a lot of rude things, I'd like to say. Like, it's just, it's Phil Gelfond, if there's one guy who can get away with that, it's Phil Gelfond. Because he, he's, <laughs> he's the kind of guy who knows he's, his implied worth is quite a bit, but a bracelet might just mean something to him. Like, he graduated from everything he's worked toward his whole life. But I still don't, like, believe it that much. So anyhow, yeah. I, that's a very wishy-washy political answer for the most no, part. But I, I I agree. I think when it comes to you made an actual like you know in the fictional tournament, if there was a tournament like that that the World Series ran, you know like uh, the bracelet is everything tournament, and first prize was a bracelet, and second prize was you know like money, and then third was money, etc. And there was no deal, so you literally played it for the bracelet, you know. Then that would, I really think people would be trying to bust out second, third. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like everybody, everybody would be raising all, all of the, all their chips, but one and mocking or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, like the idea, if one guy took it serious, he'd just win it by default. There is, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine two players even coming into competition that would both play for the bracelet. And unless they're Tom, unless their names are Tom Dwan, Phil Ivy, Phil Galfond, or maybe five others, I just scream idiot if I if I saw some guy playing for it there. But I mean, I don't know. I, uh, well, I, I mean, like you say, it's just it's my thought. Like I can't say what Phil. I've met Phil Galfond once. I I can't say what he's going to do or anything. You can't say what he's going to do. Only he knows himself. But we can speculate. And like you say, that's all it is, speculation. But in terms of what you say, a million dollars, he could then use that for... And it's exponential what it could grow to, whether it's charity. I mean, if he stuck a million dollars in some trust and then put some college kids, college kids to school every year for the next, you know, however long, I mean... There's a Something very good point. And it, yeah, it's hard know, to imagine, it's, like, Phil Galfon thinking of this and going, oh, no, I want the bracelet. Yeah, no, but I, don't, I, I think the bracelet's important to him. I'm not saying he doesn't want a bracelet and he wouldn't like to win a bracelet, but the comment in terms of what we were saying, what we were discussing was, if it was a, a you know a million dollars or the bracelet, I think it would be the mil- I think it would be the million dollars for everyone. Yeah, you know? exactly. Phil Galfon might be the exception. What do I know? I'm like the typical grinded out pro. Like I'll, I mean, it's it, I don't know. It's like Blink 182 trying to fathom Mozart. It's just not. <laughs> it's just probably not going to happen from my mind. But you know, yeah, it, it, I understand this. What this guy is asking. Uh, this guy yeah. makes a very valid point that we didn't really address. But yeah, sorry, continue. I suppose if it was Gila Liberté saying, I want the bracelet. Yeah, a million... that makes a lot of sense, right? That, that makes more sense. You know, a million dollars to him, he can still write a check for a million to a charity and it's not going to, you know, touch him. 
But with Galphon, like you say, these guys, I think because there's half a million dollar pots and million dollar pots and stuff and it's banded around, I, I think you touched on it. Their net worth in terms of what these guys have got cash ready. I mean, I think it is a handful of people. And again, I wouldn't like to speculate because even, you know, from doing these podcasts and I speak with guys, you know, 20, 30 minutes after sometimes and whatever, and you get to hear things I would never repeat. Right. A lot of these high stakes guys that you would think, you know, are totally shot, are broke. When oh, I was walk- when I was rock- walking around the World Series last year, um, with the you know the media pass, I was at the 50k uh, horse or players championship, and the little fragments of things I heard and little things, and I was being nosy, you know, and like a little bit eavesdropping, and it's ridiculous some of the people and the the figures I heard someone. I can't remember the actual figure, but I think I've mentioned it on a previous podcast or a blog. Someone was playing for something like 3% of themselves in that player's championship. Sounds right. And, um, you know, that was just like, you know, as you say, it's easy with million dollars thrown around all the time. Mm. When it comes to hard cash in a safe, like you say, as you say, if Dirt or Ivy's the top, I mean, I don't think these guys have got, you know, especially after full tilt, you know, happened. And crash. I don't think any of them have got, you know, they're not decamillionaire sort of thing. Right. You know? And I think we could talk about that quite a bit. It's just, yeah. it's, I, I, to wrap things up succinctly, it's, uh, I know a lot of poker players and I hear a lot about people's financial situations. It rarely looks how y- you think it looks. And it's just a hard way to make a living. I mean, it's just, I mean, we talked about this one time, like most 10Ks are 10Ks plus 3Ks. You imagine trying to make that with the rake of like food and travel and all that. It gets pretty expensive. A- anyhow, let's let's yeah. continue. Yeah, next one. Uh, while you were out at Vegas World Series, a British player, an absolute uh, gentleman of the game, a guy I've met and had the pleasure to play him with, uh, Barney Boatman, um, he won his first bracelet real old school British pro, he's been around for, you know, centuries, yeah. <laughs> um, and he's, he's played there, he's from the sort of, like, Neil Chant, he was the original Hendon Mob member and stuff, and he won a bracelet, um, and someone made a comment on a forum, and someone actually messaged me, uh, Frank, and he says, uh, with Barney Boatman winning his first bracelet, and he's played over 100 events at the World Series Lifetime, now, I've, I've not checked that or anything, but I assume it's, you know, that sort of ballpark, you know, maybe even more you know mm-hmm. um he's played over 100 events at the world series and this is his first bracelet um how it's basically a discussion of the the trying to put it in a sort of succinct question uh, but right. um basically the la- the long run in the live game you know even that is nothing online if you said you know i've played over 100 tournaments on poker stars <laughs> um with over a thousand players in them and i've not won one yet you know, and it's just that sort of, uh, okay, the structure's different. You know, there's, well, the main event's like a two-hour clock. But, yeah, there's hour clocks and stuff like that. But what do you think about these live guys and, you know, a sample? And I think we've maybe discussed this a bit, but how do you even get the long run in live games, you know? Well, I mean, you never get it. I mean, that's that's the real simple answer. And this is why when people call poker a sport, like, I'd really – love for it to be a sport and i really like that costa rica defends it as a sport there's an actual sports federation here that defends uh poker players and i think that's all well and cool but i i want to laugh my ass off every time i hear somebody call this a sport i mean there's 
I'll just use myself as an example because I was about to use somebody else, but that would have been pretty rude. Because you, you, we can all think of like 20 people where it's like, if he hadn't hit that card, what would have happened? You yeah. know what I mean? Would we even know about him? Jason Mercier, who is like 10 times the poker player I'll ever be, but I was there at the San Ramo he won. And, you know, he got, he was, I believe he got in because he was Supernova Elite that year playing one, two. And he got to choose two events. He picked San Ramo and Monte Carlo because they were next to each other. Really nice guy. Seemed really smart with the money. I don't think he had many plans to play at, after these live tournaments because it, it seemed like he noted how stupidly expensive they were. And mm. like 50 people on out, they got it all in Jacks versus Queens. Uh, you know, like five, uh, like a five-four-two board, or something. Like you know, understandable spot. But like Jason Mercy had four outs. I mean, two outs twice for the mm-hmm. tournament life, and he hit a, he hit a jack. And it, you know, you think about it. Like, would Jason Mercy have like gone home? You know what I mean? Like, and just yeah. grinded it out. You know, I mean, most likely he would have popped up again. But there's certainly the opportunity, and it wouldn't be inconceivable that we just, you know. Jason Mercier goes and makes a lot more money online and goes into something else because maybe he just doesn't get the tournament result right away. Maybe he, yeah. keep, maybe he keeps plugging in the hours and he does get it. But there's no real way to know. And, you know, and of course, a lot of like incredulous people like to go, well, if he never hit that, maybe it doesn't happen. And maybe the only reason it's never happened for me is because that hasn't happened. Well, no. There's a lot of the cool thing about poker is there's a lot of preparation you can do and it doesn't always amount to anything. And I think that tests you much more mentally. It's easy to be confident when you're just born a physical specimen. You have to put in a modicum. How do you pronounce that word? Modicum? Is that modicum. Modicum. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard yeah. that. One of those things I read all the time. and I don't speak much English around here, <laughs> so I don't know anymore. But they... Uh, you know, if you just put in that much work, a modicum of work, and you're a physical specimen, of course you're going to be confident and, like, it's going to keep moving towards something. And, you know, if you're Jason Mercier and you're blessed with the kind of talent he has and you hit the jack, of course it starts rolling again. But there, there's a lot of times in poker certain guys I think are fantastic players just didn't have it, like, work out for them. I, uh, I actually thank God for this, but I lost a flip at San Ramo. And it was, you know, a pretty understandable flip. And it was the biggest field European tournament at the time at that mm-hmm. fu- in at that final table. I'm really glad it I didn't win the money because I would have like that drop after it would have been pretty far. But, you know, <laughs> and I've been one outed for one hundred thousand dollars and stuff like that. But so you can't call it a sport because it, it, the long run, I don't I don't think ever comes. I mean, surely if you're a good player, you're going to make money. And I think if you keep studying, there's no one who can't like grind out a lot of hands at cash and not make a good amount of money. But you know, the live is an exhibition where it's, it's nice. It's fun. It really was cool to see all the chips come my way in just this one tournament. But mm-hmm. you know, you can't, uh, it's no surprise. It, it wouldn't have been that surprising if Barney, Boatman never won a bracelet his whole life. That doesn't yeah. mean he doesn't know how to play. You know yeah. what I mean? 
And uh, yeah, 100 events just isn't anything. And, you know, if he'd won two or three bracelets, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's just, yeah. you know, we could go, oh, my God, this guy's a beast. He wins one tournament out of 40 or whatever it is. But I mean, probably he just ran good. So yeah. Yeah, anyway, that's a lot. Poker's all luck, kids. Don't even try. That's pretty much it. <laughs> the, ne- the next one is from a guy on Twitter, at Problems99. Um, how important do you think a HUD is in today's game? Now, I know Alex is versed and versed uh, a HUD with me uh, on previous podcasts and stuff, but let's, let's just reemphasize it, Alex. How important do you think a HUD is in today's game? Well, there's... Uh... Whenever this comes up amongst like good professionals, everybody always wants to know like you know flush entity doesn't use a HUD. I'm like yeah, are you flush entity? <laughs> no. Uh, all right. <laughs> like, so and do you think flush entity couldn't become better with, with with a HUD? I mean, there's just a lot of the. I wish I could remember this guy's name. I remember watching. Like when I started playing cash games pretty much mainly for a living when I was living in Europe. And I just, I, I, I just didn't know what to do. I was obvious. It became really apparent to me. Like most poker players I met were just smart. They were just smart people, whatever they would have done, they would have gotten it. And they were putting a lot of stuff together that they couldn't really verbalize, but they felt was the right thing. I was really good at mashing my chips around and, you know, scrounging up some turn tournament wins and I, I certainly could make money at poker, but I wasn't great. And I, I started watching all these high stakes guys online. I just didn't get it like at all. And one day I watched this series on Deuce's Crack called The Thin Red Line. And it was this guy, I believe, from Holland. And I can't remember his name. But he uh, and it was him just running through the HUD. And he said, you know, when. A guy has this percentage, it means he does this typically with this type of hand. And when I thought about it, I was like, that logically makes a lot of sense. And it was just like a cheat code. Like just one day I was one of the cool kids. I started making a lot of money and poker started opening up to me a lot more. And I think for the average player, the HUD is just insanely effective. If you, it's weird because these same guys, like when we are when we were young and like me and my friends would play like Street Fighter, you'd like go home to like kick your buddy's ass. You'd remember like a 20 button press combo and like practice it. But they, these same guys, it's like you could make another 5,000 a year if you pra- if like y- you look at this stat every single time you do this. And they won't do it because poker is something you're just supposed to feel like driving or dancing or sex or something. Mm. You know, they still have this very romantic view that poker is like chess or not chess. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like fighting with your mind and it's a dance or something, but it's, it's weird because there's really, I mean, I'll give you a really basic one, like full to continuation, st- uh, full to continuation bet statistics are just cheating. If a guy's like multi-tabling, you see a guy has a 60% or higher full to C bet. Well, you hit the board in no limit hold him about a third of the time. If you if you play around with Flopzilla, you're gonna find that with most hands, it's close to about a third of the time, and that's like, you know, that's all the times he has like, you have like the nut high card and the board is like two two three, and all the times you have like two overs and a gut shot, and it's mm-hmm. about a third of the time you like you hit the board enough to continue. That means 66% of the time you don't have anything. If you see a guy who folds his C bets 60% of the time. 
that means pretty much every time he has nothing, he check folds. Now, if uh, and if he does and if he doesn't do that, that means he check calls when he has nothing, and he check uh, he has to do something uh, really weird, like check fold uh, check fold when he flops like bottom pair and check check call when he has like nothing, which probably is not going to happen. So mm-hmm. it's just if you're one of those guys that can't like feel your way out of situations, like I I definitely. I, I mean, there's definitely times I can, but most of the time I don't really rely on that. It's just a really effective way to escape the grid and make money without, you know, without just being a savant. And I think it's very important in today's game when the average player is more educated to take every edge you can find. Yeah, I mean, just to go on that, when I first started using it, hold on manager, and uh, had a few lessons with yourself and you showed me it, my game just changed so much. I could play more tables. I wasn't having to pay. It pays attention for you, right. which kind of makes you a little bit lazier. But in terms of <laughs> you're looking at the statistics and thinking more, so it probably makes you – it's like a paradox. It makes you lazier in terms of attention span, but makes you probably more hardworking in terms of thinking about the game and, and using the using the information. Right. You know, because I, I, I found that. And also stats, like you say, if you're multi-tabling, I don't know how anybody can know – with players changing tables all the time, etc. Online, if you've got like more than six tables on, I don't know how people could sort of look and say that guy checks so many flops, that guy c bets this that, unless you are a savant, you know, as you say, right, um, right. In terms of the information that the HUD holds, it, um, there were rare occasions when I played live poker, and to be fair to, to everybody listening to me, I didn't use a HUD for the first five years. I I played like I wanted to hit myself once I started using it. And there were times when I played live poker, I, you know, you get in the habit of like tipping the floor staff and stuff. And then you, if, when you walk in, like a dealer gives you a read, like this guy's the fish at the table. Like he's just spewing. He, he calls everything. You're you probably, a live player is expected to tip a lot more than what hold a manager is costing you per hand over yeah. millions and millions of hands. It's literally like fragments of a cent to have the equivalent of a Chinese kid you hired to take stat, uh, statistics for you on the side on 12 different tables, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it, it seems pretty odd to like, just ignore it. Yeah. So 99 problems on Twitter. Uh, you've got 99 problems in the HUD is one if you don't play with it. You know, I spent three weeks writing that. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, that's why you get paid the big bucks. Yeah. There you go. So uh, we hope that answers your question anyway. And I listened to a lot of the previous podcasts with myself and Alex, um, especially the early ones uh, when I just had Alex on as a guest. Um, and also the recent ones of Ask Alex, uh, sort of the earlier episodes, sorry. There's a lot of talk about the HUD and using the HUD and uh, stats and things like that. So definitely worth listening to them if you haven't already. Uh, the next question, I apologize to the guy that sent it in because I don't have the name noted down uh, to it and I can't find it on Twitter or anything. Um, it's what percentage of your role would you advise spending on coaching when starting out? Well, I mean, hmm. it depends on how bad you need it. If you're doing really well in the games you're in, you want to transition to a new game, but it's not really going to be a serious investment. If you're really not going to put hours in at that game, then you probably should not want to spend a ton. And 
I mean, I could give you guys a BS answer and say any amount, you know, and probably get myself business. But I'll, I'll tell you how I really think about it and why I'm really careful about when I pick coaching hours. If you're a grinder, okay, you're actually paying a different price for the hour because the hour you're not playing, it costs you how much, however much you're paying the instructor plus however much you would have made that hour should you have been playing. Now, the, the bonus to this is one hour with a good professor is the equivalent of, I mean, I gave a guy stuff this morning. He was, you know, he's a, he's a civil engineer. He's 35. He's got, he's got a wife. I think he had kids and, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of time to play poker, but he has some, you know, he has some disposable income from his job. That guy is going to enjoy poker way more because he's, he literally got concepts within an hour. He got five or six concepts that probably took me two million hands to discover. Now he could have sat there and grinded for two years and got those concepts. And it was expensive for him to get that information. But, you know, what's worth more? You, this amount of money, which, you know, getting coaching is pretty expensive. Or is your time or is is enjoying poker and making more money at poker more important to you. And pretty much every dollar you put into coaching, if the coach is good, it's going to come back tenfold. It's just mm -hmm. not going to come back right away. And if you don't have a lot of money right then, it might be better to just – one thing I advise my guys do is you know, just get a subscription to Pocket Fives Training and watch every video I have. It takes a lot more hours, but it's still better than just grinding and learning nothing. And then when you do finally get to talk to me, you might have like 20 really pinpoint questions to ask me as opposed to me covering all the same concept that you could have gotten for just the introductory price on Pocket Fives training. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I had some other point. I can't remember what it was, but it's definitely if you're just trying to make money at poker, it's not really the it, it's definitely much more expensive because you have to take an hour off to off of grinding but I, yeah. I i i don't i can't imagine anybody really making it in today's game without getting a coach at some point or getting yeah. some kind of mentor yeah. yeah i mean from my my sort of personal view when i first started my first lesson with anyone was from you uh, alex and uh you know i would we're obviously you know we become friends and stuff and co-host this show but i would definitely recommend you as a coach and i have recommended you to people and when i took the lesson i think you were only 150 dollars an hour i got you cheap you know you're 180 now <laughs> yeah, right. but um i remember thinking you know at the time i mean you know obviously poker wasn't my main income at the time and stuff and i had you know like other income but my bankroll was probably, you know, something like two thousand dollars, two and a bit thousand dollars, and I think if even my bankroll, like you say, had been, even if I didn't have a bankroll, let's just say I'm depositing money to play poker when I want, I would still try and allocate something like, you know, a hundred and fifty or a hundred eighty dollars for, you know, a lesson with yourself, um, because you can find that type of money. I mean, right. obviously, I know, I know the current uh, economic situation with the world and money's tight for a lot of people but if you're putting money into a website and gambling you can find 180 dollars somehow whether it's over a few weeks a few months even you know and i would say there was a good article i think it was jennifer on pocket fives uh, spoke about it 
And it was about maybe when you're building up your role and stuff. If you have a little score, you can allocate a little bit of money out that towards coaching or books or videos or something so that you're constantly learning. Because like you say, just mindlessly grinding is not going to get you anywhere. Right. And right. also, also uh, in terms of the dollar spent on coaching, like you say, it's going to come back tenfold. If you spend $180 on a lesson and then go out and in a couple of weeks or months win a tournament, well, there you go. For years, I was getting nowhere. Like, I was getting deep in these tournaments and busting out this and that. And, you know, I had Jared Tendler on the podcast. I was speaking to him about all the, the mental baggage stuff, et cetera, mindset coaching. Got a couple of lessons off of you. And then the next month, I got second in the 10 rebound on stars for like 9K. That's awesome. You know, so, so it's like you could say that's a coincidence and stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm going to give you the credit because when I was playing that tournament, I was thinking about things you'd said to me in terms of, right, this spot, you know, deeper in the tournament, just the way I should be approaching it and the way I should be thinking about hands and just keeping myself level. So, you know, I spent, what, $300 on, you know, a couple of lessons with you. And I won 9K, so <laughs> right, right. There, there's there's the advert. But also, if you guys are out there listening and, you know, you, you're skint, you don't have any money for, you know, a lesson, as I say, with these tournaments that I'm running on William Hill Poker now, the prize is a free hour lesson with Alex. So, I mean, the first tournament, I think I got 19 or, yeah, I think it was 19 players. Uh, the podcast's been downloaded something like 2,400 times last month. So either... Um, 2,300 of you are, you know, just just like listening to my voice and don't actually want to play poker or <laughs> or, or, win a to- or win coaching and stuff. Um, and the last tournament uh, got something like that. It was like 16, 17 players. So there's a guy leading it just now. There's four tournaments left. There's plenty points available to win a free, you know, a lesson. And that's $5 buy-in tournament. So it's there's a chance to win it there. You know, so like should be more more of you getting involved in that, especially the guys that are emailing for like, you know, I can't afford coaching. Right, right. There's you know, always a way. There's always a way. There's always a way. And all right, don't play my tournament if you don't want to, you know, but sort of thing. But go and find a way, you know, uh, save up the money from a little score or uh, cut back on something you're spending in your personal life and put it aside, get the lesson. And then, you know, nobody's saying you need to get a lesson every week from Alec. Get a lesson go and apply that, grind for a few more months and stuff, see how you go, and then, you know, get another lesson and stuff. It's like, I think it's affordable. Yeah. I know $180 for an hour sounds like, holy shit, you know, who, <laughs> earns, who, earns, who earns that in this day and age, you know, blah, blah, blah. But your time, etc. like you're saying, you, you're not only teaching, you're giving up an hour that you could be playing right. as well as a teacher. So yeah, you know, find a way, you know, if you find, you can, if you want it, you can find a way to do it. And You uh, do fantastic commercials for me. Thank you so much. This I'm getting so much <laughs> value out of this pocket. No, but like, if I could say one thing, look, the other thing is you want to be careful with who you hire as a coach. And it, sorry to cut you off there, Barry. I didn't mean to be rude or anything. No, no, I just, when I started doing these, I did what every coach did, which was like watch your hand history and give you like a couple things that were pretty interesting and, you know, probably could help you, but were not worth the time. Look, I understand like now what people's time is worth, what they're, you know, what it's worth to them to get a lesson. You're if you get like a long-term coach, he should have some things prepared for you. It doesn't 
it's not that hard for me to mark like 10 hands that perfectly bring up concepts I want to teach you. Yet most people would prefer to just look at their, uh, and I mean, I'll be, I was guilty of this too. I just like showed up, watched a hand history. Thanks for the money. And then went on. And a lot of those guys were really happy because they learned something. But at some point I said, Hey, there's real money in this. I want to make sure people are like, you know, they want to come to me for a good reason. And, you know, you mark hands about specific concepts that people really need to know. And it's like getting the knowledge of like 2 million hands in one hour and which can justify this insane price as you were, as you were bringing up earlier, but there are other coaches like, uh, there's other really well known coaches who are very studied, have things ready, uh, not to drive business away from me, but I'm confident enough in my services that I could go with it. Uh, the, the Maven, I know this is the only guy I could remember off the top of my head. I've heard of a few guys who have stuff ready for people to look from, you know, the Maven has like a setup like program for people to go into. So that might be a guy who has some experience and has some practice and you get a lot from, there's a lot of coaches that, you know, a guy gets them because he has a really big name, pays a lot of money. And after the hour feels like I just got bum rushed. I just got screwed. You want to be really careful that the guy comes recommended pocket fives has a coaching listing and you can read what other people have put before, but you also got to remember, and I'm ripping this all off of Matthew John, by the way. So Matthew John, if you ever listen, uh, I apologize, but he made a video about like seeking coaching and learning about poker. And he made a lot of good points and I'm just pretty much rephrasing them. You got to realize people make good posts much more than they make bad posts. A lot of times I've talked to people and they went to some really high profile coach, got really crappy coaching, said to the guy, hey, I was really unhappy with this, got the money back. Well, there's no incentive for the guy to go, you know, piss the guy off now and post a negative review. He got his money back. Maybe he learned something. But there's a lot of guys out there like that. And you know, you want to make sure they're really in it for you involved. Tree win. Okay. Another fantastic coach, really prepared. And if you've ever read a book by him, you can tell he definitely is prepared. And he, and I try my best to really give people value. Most people love the lessons we have. And if you get into it more involved, like I have tests that like, will. You know, I have tests of like just oddball things that took me years and years to learn. And, you know, we really try to get, I get you talking. So you start trying to solve them. When you try to solve the problem, talk about the problem, listen to the problem, take notes about the problem, get follow up work on the problem. And I assign a lot of homework. That's another special thing about assassin auto coaching. Okay. Now I go into the plug, but we have, you know, I, you, if you do uh, a lesson with me, I just had an hour lesson with a guy, but he got 20 pages of my own personal articles and notes on this stuff and a PowerPoint that pretty much reads like a book that accompanied the article. You, the only excuse you ever have with me is you didn't put the work in. I'll never ever fail you as far as giving you the right concepts. And then it's about application and having a concept that you're trying to work on every day. And then one day you can be like NASA 114. And I always throw his name around because he's my most <laughs> successful student. But yeah. Anyhow, uh, more questions. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We've got, um, more questions but just just on that if you do want to contact alex about coaching ah, then, smart man 
Thank Your email, Alex. Assassinautocoaching at gmail.com. Check, it. check it out. My, my assistant will get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> And also, get your asses into the uh, William Hill Tournament on the 18th of August, 7pm UK time. Uh, sign up for a William Hill account, use coupon code OneOuter, and the password's Ginger for the tournaments. Uh, when, I mean, there's four tournaments left. If you won two or won one and even placed in another one, you're going to give yourself a chance of winning, you know, a free hour with Alex, so... I uh, don't want any more emails from people saying I can't afford coaching. If, if I get an email from you that says you can't afford coaching and you didn't play the $5 tournament where you got a chance of winning it, you're dead to me. <laughs> that was, oh, uh, man, you're brutal. Okay, another question in is from Kyle Maguire. And uh, this guy's had a couple of recent scores sometimes. I don't want to embarrass him by the amounts, but they are quite quite hefty. All right. <laughs> They're quite Quite, quite decent scores. Um, he says, uh, ask Alex, uh, with his early success and big scores, if he could go back and speak to himself then, is there anything he would tell him to do different? Uh, first of all, congratulations on your scores, and thank you so much for considering me as a person you'd ask this question. It's kind of weird to be giving, like, what you would have done when you were young when you're 25, but it's... Uh, um, one of the best pieces of advice I heard and I definitely didn't follow was the first time you make money, write down your five best friends uh, on that piece of paper, on a piece of paper. Uh, and anytime somebody asks you for money, look down at that list. And if they're not on that list, don't give it to them. Because there's a lot of, I had some people that came into my life they were very cool people and for the for the most part not bad guys just you know maybe i didn't know them as long as i should have and maybe i entrusted them a little faster than they were perhaps prepared for and it it cost me you know and it, like no nothing on them and i mean there were some people who did rob me and i i you know if i i thought i knew them pretty well but if i'd followed this rule which somebody told me when I was 19, I just didn't listen to, you know, I would have, I, I would have a lot more money today. Uh, don't, uh, don't ever drink the night before a tournament ever. Uh, you'll, I wish I had all the money back. <laughs> it's spewed doing that. Uh, if I could never, ever smoke weed while you're playing, uh, if I could extend that, never do it, period. Uh, I think it kind of kills your drive. It uh, it's really popular in poker. It's gonna be around you all the time. And like, I don't knock anybody who does it once in a while, but I consult for guys who. Uh, you would be amazed how many guys I do consulting for, for, like high stakes guys, and it's just like they're addicted because poker gets pretty repetitive. And if you have something that alleviates that feeling of uh, monotony, you, you're gonna probably go to it, and you probably have a very addictive mind anyway. So. I'd say like make limit. Don't ever drink the night before a tournament. Don't ever uh, don't loan loan money out. Don't uh, don't ever smoke weed while you're playing like ever, because you're probably gonna get used to the it probably used to the facts. And I'm sorry, I know I was repeating something, but I, I what was the other thing I was gonna say? Uh, a, a lot of people when they make the money, we we kind of have this thing in a capital capitalist culture that when you have money, you're supposed to be happy. 
they teach you in school like you know you get you get a you go to a good college so you can get a good job so you can make money so you can take care of your family and have lots of nice things and you'll be happy now you'll be out ahead of most people if these scores were pretty substantial a lot of people who may have a master's degree aren't making in a year what you just made in a night and there's going to be people that are not going to be able to handle that and a lot of people you thought were really cool and really your friends are not going to be your friends and you can't put yourself around those kind of people because there's no real going back for them a lot of people like you in your position especially if you're always kind of the sidekick or what have you and there's also uh, there was one more thing I was going to add to that I sorry I just kind of got slow I guess my caffeine rush uh, slowed down <laughs> there was a uh, there's going to be a lot of people like that. And uh, this is like when I watch rap battles and a guy chokes and they're just like, <laughs> they're just like looking and they're like, what's my first word? What's my first word? Uh, there's going to be a lot of people that change around you. And, oh yes, you're also going to, a lot of people get guilt because they, because most poker players are good because they don't really feel much in everyday life. They don't get as, distracted by the ups and downs as a lot of other people now that makes you much less likely to feel it when you make all this money if you did feel it you're probably going to spend too much of it so it's probably a good thing you don't feel it but there's going to be times you're like you're still your same self you might get depressed about the same things you the one that flew out to me was when i was like 17 i was like broke out of my mind and you know like uh, police coming to the house all the time and like get literally like moving into my friend's garage, like no bathroom in the place and no AC mm -hmm. <laughs> and just freezing at nights and sweating my ass off and, you know, and begging for a job at Blockbuster, like, like feeling like I was about to die when I was a commercial fisherman. And the whole time I thought, man, if I make money at this poker thing, it's all over, dude. And like, you know, girls never treating you serious because your clothes are bummy. I had a kid like try to kick my ass in middle school because I wore the same sweatshirt every day. And he was the, he was the other poor kid. So he thought, Oh, if I kick this kid's ass, like, I'll, you know, I'll be cool. They won't pay attention to me. Right. And he, you know, he's like declaring to people, he wears the same sweatshirt with holes every day, you know? And you know, and I, I pussied out of the fight, but they like, I, I didn't see the point, but uh, to be to be honest, he was big and uh, pretty scary. But they, you know, I always thought, you know, once I have money, I'm going to be so happy. And, you know, then like one day I was like 19 and uh, I had like I had an apartment I rented in Seoul for when I was there. I had an apartment in Seattle that had a rooftop area with a barbecue that looked over Seattle I had a full liquor cabinet. I had an office. I had big screen TV, leather couches, all this stuff. And I was miserable. And everybody still, like, I still didn't know how to talk to a woman. I still didn't know how to, like, do anything in business. And you're still going to be the same person. But we have this idea in our culture that you're just supposed to be transformed by making money. Like, you're somehow this yeah. super successful person means you're absolved of all guilt and crimes and uh, you're a cool guy now. And a lot of times like you're still the same dork you were when you played those tournaments in your sweatpants, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So don't get down on yourself and for the love of God, just save all the money. Like just put it, what I do with my money now and 
I just put it into an account and forget. I constantly drain my poker accounts because it makes me fight more when there's not mm-hmm. that much money. You don't write off a loss when you have to redeposit all the time. Excuse me. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's just amazing what you can do with money when you're just constantly taking it off the table. If you're just always playing with all the money you made as a poker player, you're just playing a tournament against yourself that goes on forever. You're never taking money off the table. Stu Unger made that mistake, you know what I mean? He never he never took wow, money off the table. Was, just to stop you there, that, that was great. I think people should really listen to that. If they don't take money you know, out of their accounts and stuff, they're just playing a tournament against themselves. I mean, that's, that's profound, Alex. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sure I ripped that off of someone at some point, but thank oh, you. Fuck. No, no, fuck. No, no. I mean, Chip, Chip Reese used to talk about stuff like that. He used to talk about, yeah. you know, like Stu Unger never got the point. You know what I mean? But yeah, like one day I thought it's like, it's like playing a tournament against yourself. It just goes on forever. Cause I mean, there were times like I was at real extremes. Like I had my entourage, I had a live in cook and maids and a mansion and a private beach, literally all this stuff. And I was just miserable. Because it's just, none of the money was real. All this was bullshit. It was a rented house. It was uh, uh, rented helpers and all this stuff. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's not real. And it's like, I have way less money than I had back then. I blew all of it. And I'm way happier now. And I have way more now. And it's, yeah, and you have to take money off the table. And instead of like, you know, like a lot of people want to like travel and play live tournaments. If I could do it again, don't stay in the gambling scene. First of all, it's way more expensive to play live tournaments than anyone realizes. You would never play like a 5K plus 3K online, but that's exactly what you'll pay to go to a lot of these exotic locales and play a 5K. And if it is a 10K, it a lot of times you end up – if it is a 10K, it's likely in Europe and you probably spend a lot on food and transportation and stuff. Now, that doesn't mean don't play all of them, but if you could save a ton of money and then get a backer to deal with all of this, don't, it, it would be fine. But the other thing is, like, take time off all the time. And that, that must sound weird to a lot of people that are, you know, money-orientated, but if I have any regret, it's about how much poker I played. And I did a lot of stuff that had nothing to do with poker. I rode elephants in Thailand and camels in Egypt, and I... Uh, I went up to the cross in Rio de Janeiro and I did lots of things that I'm really proud I did at some point. And still 90% of my adult life is just me and me in front of a computer. Don't be, af- yeah. don't be afraid to like, and now that I've like cooled it down a bit and focus more on business and I'm reading books about all these different topics, it's amazing how much more comes back to poker and it's crazy how relaxed you are when you play poker and how many different perspectives you see it from because you gave yourself a chance to breathe and learn new things don't be afraid to like do okay i'm gonna play poker for three months and then i'm gonna take classes in this place like and if you want to see the world go go to a place and you know take some classes there really meet the people challenge yourself to speak the language i can't tell you how many guys like move to different countries for poker and like they didn't speak one word within a year i most of the people that come to costa rica right now the americans like they don't speak a word of spanish after one year and it's like really how much are you learning about another culture and that's 
people save up their whole lives to go visit another country and you could just you can work remotely anywhere on earth it take advantage of that opportunity and you know meet people learn more learn read more books take more time off and always play at your bankroll limits my people used to always make fun of me for how low i played when i was when I was 18, I was playing like 10 and $20 tournaments when I had thousands and thousands of dollars. And my friends were laughing at me like, oh, we're going to go to the big cash game. Ha, ha, ha. Enjoy playing your $10 tournament. But mm-hmm. I was the one who was the professional with the two separate apartments I flew between uh, when I was yeah. 19 years old. And when I stopped doing that, when I started playing live tournaments, like my life got so stressful. Everything went to hell. It was in start. And don't back anyone. Don't ever back anyone unless it's your best friend and it's like you know and this isn't even anything against the people i did back it's just like it's so expensive and it's so much harder you think it'll be easy for you you'll think it'll be easy for them to make money at poker because it's easy for you but poker is super difficult not everybody runs the same not everybody's feeling the same and not everybody knows the same things and every time you back someone divide your bankroll in half and that's your real bankroll now because you have to support another person and if he runs through half of it he's run through his portion now if you're backing a couple people divide it even more and you'll start seeing how short uh, how short stacked you're playing and that was my big mistake i just kept you know my guys were just crushing when they started i just moved them up and like it was a it was equivalent to like playing 510 with four buy-ins at the end and amazingly i lost even though they like every sunday there were deep runs and they were you know we it, it it'll happen i mean it's just an it, mtt backing is extremely hard to make work the only guys i know who do it are so vigilant and chances are if you play poker for a living you're not going to be the managerial type you're going to be the i want to play poker type and uh yeah. that's pretty much everything off the top of my head well, I think I think that's a lot. There are a lot of good advice for anybody that's, uh, you know, especially people that are coming into, you know, these scores and decent amounts of money, and they're at that age where they're thinking how to manage it. I mean, you've been there, done that, learned from that experience. Uh, definitely, you know, they should take that on board. Uh, that's all the questions for this episode, Alex. Uh, is there anything you want to close on? I'm going to close on uh, a plug actually first. Yeah. Again, William Hill tournament. Uh, Sunday, August the 18th, 7 p.m. UK time. All the details are on oneouter.com. $5 buy-in, lots of added prizes, and you can win points to get yourself a free hour lesson with the man that we've just uh, spoke with and listened to for an hour, Alex, and also loads of other prizes. As I say, all the details are on oneouter.com and hopefully see a few more of you in the tournament uh, this month. And Alex... Uh, check me out at facebook.com slash assassinato. Check me out on Twitter at the assassinato. Ass, ass, letter I, NATO. Uh, email me for uh, private coaching or consulting at assassinatocoaching at gmail.com. And read. All those sources will link you to articles uh, that I publish. Lots of free stuff that will make you thousands of dollars. Check out my blog, PokerHeadRush.com, to get more of the day-to-day stuff and, you know, random books that I'm reading and different concepts I'm trying out and what I'm having fun with at the time. And 
one of the things I'm having fun with is this podcast, man. This this is pretty fun. Thanks again for having me on. This is yeah, really fun to do. It's, it's my pleasure. As I say, I'm not playing much poker myself recently. I'm involved with a few other things. And um, it's still, when I speak with you, it kind of makes me want to go out and play a little bit. So uh, <laughs> good, man. we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe when the winter nights come in, we're getting a half, well, I say we're getting a glimmer of a summer in Scotland just now. So oh, man. I'm trying to enjoy the good weather and, you know, have a few barbecues and, you know, like try and just uh, enjoy life a bit. And then, then I can go back to being sad, miserable and play poker in the winter. <laughs> I think that's the plan. <laughs> yeah, I got to take advantage of that sun when it happens. Yeah. Okay, Alex. Well, until next time, which will be episode six, I hope to see again any of you in the tournament. All welcome, and we'll catch up with Alex. Keep your questions coming in for him. Email me questions at oneouter.com or Twitter at Facebook them, carrier pigeon, message in a bottle, any of that sort of nonsense, uh, and I'll, I'll get them to Alex for the next episode. Uh, thanks very much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Cheers!